thank you. Hello. How are we doing? How are we doing? All right. What uh, what's the title of the message here tonight? Call to arms. You guys ready to fight? Yeah, yeah man. The one with crutches is over here saying, yeah, man. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, call to arms. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, you can do that. If uh, you were in youth group on Wednesday, you can fall asleep if you want to and tune out or, or uh, get a second helping. But uh, as I was thinking about uh, what to go over today, a uh, number of weeks ago, I had taken a, a group of students, and uh, we call them the SLT student leadership team, and uh, had some of them up here talking. We kind of explained what the, who and what they are, what their purpose is. And uh, one of the things that they had done in our previous meeting, we met last Sunday, and uh, I put them to work. And they did a good job. Uh, the month of February was... Uh, relationship month, uh, February 14th is all about what? Men? I'm testing you now. Some of you are like, I don't think it's hunting. No. The 14th of February is Valentine's Day. That's kind of this like relationship day that we celebrate every year. And uh, so as we were going through the month of February, each week we talked about a different uh, form of relationships. Uh, that we all engage in at some point in our life. And uh, when we get into the month of March now, uh, we are moving into uh, this under his armor theme, Ephesians 6, uh, to talk all about uh, the armor of God and uh, what that looks like in our lives, how we can actually utilize that uh, so that we can um, be in this battle that's real and stand strong for uh, the cause of Christ. Thank you, honey. Isn't she swell? So anyway, how that relates to our SLT group is I fabricated an idea to hopefully get them a little bit more involved. And so we were taking our youth room. If you've not been up to the old sanctuary in a while, this is what it used to look like for a little while. Um, That was our stage. Unfortunately, the chairs are kind of blocking. You can't see it. But it's the Alive Teen Zone area, and that's where we speak from. So I did a little Photoshop fun and said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if it looked more like that, like a castle or something? as we're talking about uh, uh, fighting this battle and talking about uh, the armor of God. And so uh, I printed out, I don't know how many bricks. Each brick is a piece of paper. And uh, they spent a lot of time cutting out those bricks. So now the youth room looks like that. So this last, uh, I thought about just having us relocate there for the message tonight, but... uh, that could get complicated because then we'd lose all the time to talk, right? And uh, it'd take us like 20 minutes just to get up there. So anyway, I just wanted you to see kind of where the students are are occupying and some of the things that they are uh, involved in. And you can see, actually, sorry, back up. You see that seal that's right up there in the middle between Alive and Teens? If we blow that up, it looks like that. Um, Is Jerry in here? Bless your heart if you are. If you're not, still bless your heart. Uh, Jerry was here, and I, uh, I sent him an email on Friday. I was like, dude, I know that this is like last minute, 
But is there any chance you could paint me a big sign like that that we could put there? I would need it by Wednesday. I'm thinking that's not very much time. Uh, would you mind it, say no if that's not enough time? Because I don't want to push you. And uh, Sunday morning, it was sitting outside my office. The dude had it done in like two days. And I, and I make a joke that I'm going to call him Jimmy John from now on because he's freaky fast delivery. Um, but uh, at any rate, uh, he was kind enough to, to paint us up this shield of, of being under God's armor. And if for those of you that don't know anything about Nike or Adidas or Reebok or Under Armour, that's kind of a rip off of the Under Armour logo and stuff and kind of spiritualizing it. All right. If the world can take Christian things and really uh, pervert that for their own things, I think we can take worldly things and spiritualize it and use it against them. So that's our attempt right there. So anyway, that's my little uh, shout out for our teens and what's going on. Uh, there. The reason I chose this message was so that uh, we as a church family can kind of know a little bit of what is going on over there, some of the things that they're learning. Uh, I challenged uh, you folks with the SLT that as we go throughout the year, you knew who they were, you saw some of their faces, so I challenge you to, to grab them every now and again throughout the year and say, hey, how are things going, what are you learning, and stuff like that to be a, uh, a bit of an accountability for them. And so as uh, I speak through this message again with you tonight, uh, it's something they just heard on Wednesday. So it gives you some more firepower, some more ammunition to go after some of our students and ask them some questions. That's one of the things I really like about uh, our gospel project material that we're doing as a, uh, as a church. One of our adult classes and our senior high, junior high classes and all our kids. Uh, one of the things with the teenagers is we have a, a sheet of questions uh, that we have online that parents can click on and actually have uh, some good knowledge of what kind of questions to ask other than, what did you learn in Sunday school this morning? Right? Or did you have a good time? Yeah. What did you do? Colored. What did you color? A picture. A picture of what? Moses. Okay, you just keep going through those things, right? But uh, these are some deeper questions. So, give you an opportunity to uh, hear some of the things that they heard. Hopefully it can be a challenge uh, to you as well. It should be because it's from God's Word, and God's Word is a challenge to us. So let, uh, let's dive in. Ephesians chapter 6, looking at uh, verses 10 through 20, is uh, our spiritual armor section. I'm going to focus in on the first couple of verses, as this is more of the introductory sermon to uh, this whole thing, because it's going to take five weeks. The Christian life presents many challenges to us, and none is stronger than the battle that we wage against Satan and his evil forces. Jesus, however, said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church in Matthew chapter 16. Who's the church? If you didn't know that already, hopefully you're paying attention this morning. Pastor Mark mentioned it again, that it is not this building. Uh, it is you. All right. Uh, in the closing verses here in Ephesians, Paul, veteran of spiritual warfare conveys just how to resist the devil. I suppose I could go through these quickly. Uh, as we go through these five weeks, we're going to hit all the pieces of armor. That's the belt of truth. It looks kind of like a lampshade. But uh, you'll, you, uh, these are the straps that uh, you strap up your uh, robes and things with. So that's why those are hanging down, look kind of goofy. But uh, preparing yourselves for battle, that's the, the premise of the belt of truth. Uh, we've got the breastplate of righteousness strapping on the righteous uh, lifestyle, uh, the sandals of peace, standing your ground for the gospel, the shield of faith uh, to deflect Satan's arrows of lies, the helmet of salvation protect against the philosophies of Satan, sword of the spirit, 
uh, to have an intimate knowledge of your arsenal. And uh, I, I tend to add in a seventh piece of armor or something that uh, each warrior uh, needs to have as a part of their arsenal as well. And that's uh, that uh, every warrior should be uh, one of prayer and that we need to develop continuous, effective communication uh, with the Lord. So as a warrior, it's important to have uh, communication uh, with the Father. Uh, so tonight, we're going to talk uh, first and foremost uh, most about being strong. If you look there in verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The three things I want us to focus on uh, at the beginning here is that uh, three things that are true of spiritual warfare is that it's very real. First and foremost, spiritual warfare is real. It's not just something that they talk about in movies or in books or something that's just not really going on. It's kind of out there. It's not really real. It is real. Spiritual warfare is satanic. And thirdly, spiritual warfare is strategic. Paul wrote here, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Why do you think that it's important that we don't read these uh, instructions as optional? When you look at these instructions to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, why is it important to read that as not optional? Any thoughts? Okay. You're not going to win. Why else? Okay, we have a strong and very smart enemy. Who here thinks they're the strongest person in the room? We could arm wrestle and see, right? Okay, I think uh, we can all agree that uh, all of us in this room are, are pretty weak people when you compare us to God's strength. Would you agree? Okay, uh, I'm not the smartest person in the world. Okay, I will look at, uh, uh, and I almost tried this, and I did get a little smart, but uh, I will look at a, uh, a pool table that we have in the youth room, and I want to get that upstairs into the cafe. I'll look at that pool table and think, I can do that. Just put it on its side, and I can push it up. It's not that heavy. I can lift it, right? Okay, but you try to do that by yourself, that's very foolish, right? I don't have the strength to be able to do that on my own. A couple of times I asked Pastor Mark, hey, would you mind come helping me with this piece of stage to move it? I could tr- probably try to do it on my own and break myself on the stage at the same time. Um, but it's just wiser to rely on others' strength as well to make me stronger. So why not go even further than that to the best source of strength, the strength of God? It's important for us not to look at, uh, finally, if you want to be strong in the Lord, and if you feel like it or need it, uh, rely on the strength of His might. Okay, This is, is an imperative that if indeed you want to overcome uh, the spiritual forces that are out there to get you as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, it is imperative, it is essential for you to be strong in the Lord, not self. Now, I will tell you right now, I tend to be strong in myself first more times than I choose to be strong in God first. I like to rely on myself first, thinking, well, I have learned enough or I'm strong enough for whatever task is given and I tend to, uh, sometimes I'm successful in my own strength, and then I, I get a little bit more cocky about that, and then I'm going to get a harder fall later on. But it's better off for us to follow the instructions in Scripture and be strong in His strength first and foremost. 
Because the enemy, Satan, will engage us in battle, and we can't win without the Lord's strength. In the Greek New Testament, be strong is a passive word. It indicates that we don't make ourselves strong, but rather we are made strong by a power outside of ourselves. In our own strength, we cannot resist the devil, but the Lord, who is the source of our strength, can. When you look at be strong, also in the present tense, it means that we ought to be strengthened continually. It's a continuous thing. It's not just of my own choosing. I need to rely on this daily. The Lord provides His strength for daily battles. To ignore the instructions here in verse 10 would be very devastating for you and I as a believer in Jesus Christ to think that we can live the Christian life on our own just fine. I don't need help. To be a Christian is to recognize your need for a Savior. Your dependency on someone, God, other than yourself to survive. Spiritual warfare is very real. The serious problem that believers face today is that we become cynical or pessimistic about the reality of spiritual warfare. We've let our guard down and become vulnerable to the enemy because we just don't see it or, or don't appreciate it the way that we should. As I talked about last week about sin, there's times where I, I don't tend to appreciate sin and its destructive power as much as I should because I grew up in the church. And, and you know, the sin that I got involved in was like the little white lie sin. It wasn't like the really bad stuff. And we tend to make these levels of sin. Okay? I think you understand the difference between stealing a candy bar from the uh, drugstore versus murdering somebody aren't those like two various extremes of sin and maybe in our minds they can be but as far as god's concerned you've broken one law you're guilty of all of them sin is sin is sin i've heard that term over and over again there's no levels or distinction so as it relates to spiritual warfare yeah, we're pretty cozy and comfortable together here, I, I would think. We feel pretty protected from, you know, spiritual warfare because we're spending time in, in this atmosphere. And uh, the devil probably doesn't really want to be here right now because we uh, pray to God, not him. We sing praises uh, of worship to God, not him. We speak from the truth, not from falsehoods. Everything that Satan is not is what we're about. He doesn't want to be here. But as soon as we leave this building, as the church leaves the building, then he wants to start messing with you, doesn't he? It's very real. We've let our guard down become vulnerable to the enemy. I was talking to the students about uh, Rocky, a boxing series, I guess, not just a movie. Uh, and many of you have probably seen boxing or fighting or something. And the idea is uh, when you are in front of somebody and they're swinging, uh, you probably want your guard up, do you not? Because if you don't, it's going to hurt. And if they're lucky, it's only going to take that one swing to knock you out. We need to be believers that, spiritually speaking, we're going around like this. Okay, now that might be kind of intimidating to come up to, Hey, how you doing, Holly? How's it going? You having a good day? Okay, this is kind of scary, all right? But, but think with me, as, as far as it relates to our spiritual warfare, we need to be on the defensive or have our guard up and be ready when things come. 
and not live our life thinking, oh, well, God will take care of that. He is going to take care of that, very much like he took care of uh, the work in Exodus by using Moses. God told Moses, I will rescue my people. I will take care of it. Moses was like, all right, great. Now go, Moses, and take care of it, right? And if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, wait, didn't you just tell me to do it? And now you, or tell me that you're doing it? Now you want me to, I don't get it. You just said you were going to do it. Yeah, and you're going to be the instrument by which I do it, right? You and I are those instruments. Secondly, here we see the spiritual warfare uh, is satanic. Satanic warfare. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Who's our number one enemy? What was that? The devil? Anyone else? In youth group, I think somebody said, Frankenmuth. I guess they always beat Carol and everything. I don't know. Okay, the number one enemy is the devil, Satan. According to uh, Dr. David Jeremiah, he wrote a book, uh, he wrote a lot of books, but uh, The Blessing and Behaviors of a Believer. Surveys have revealed that a large portion of Christians don't believe in a literal devil. This isn't just large portions of people in general. This is Christian people, people that believe in God. A large portion of them don't believe in a literal devil. Hopefully that makes you kind of be like, what? Really? Instead, they believe that he is a biblical symbol for evil. Hmm. That's not the position of Scripture. The devil is every bit as literal as God is. It's hard for a symbol to do the things attributed to Satan in Scripture. What are a lot of the things that Satan has done in Scripture? He's deceived, he's murdered, he's tempted, destroyed, lied, uh, accused, he's controlling. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says uh, to be on guard against him. Why? It says be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, does what? He prowls around just like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If you think about it, why do I need to be on guard against a symbol? A Nike swoosh is going to come out and slap me upside the head? Maybe if it's attached to a football jersey or something and I get tackled, but a symbol? In a famous exchange between God and Satan in the book of Job, God asked Satan from where he had come. The devil's response was, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. You seen a symbol walk around lately? Job chapter 1, verse 7. That's where you find that. Satan is active on this earth today. He is active. He's involved in our human affairs. In fact, the whole world is under his control. If you look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, we know that we are from God, it says. And it goes on to say, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Who's the evil one? It ain't God. God has given Satan authority in the earth, this is the important part, for a while. For a while. 
One day he will take it back, and that is the hope and joy that we have in the truth here, right? That this too shall pass. This, uh, the devil is very much at work and in control. Uh, one of the examples I have uh, for this right now is uh, my wife and I were chatting about this Beauty and the Beast movie that's coming out on the 18th of March. Okay, you may have remembered back in 91 or 92, Disney came out with the cartoon version of Beauty and the Beast. I grew up watching that VHS tape, um, and, you know, it's just this, this nice cartoon, um, and just a, a fun story, I guess. Well, uh, we were wanting to put together a girls' day and a guys' day kind of thing where the girls would go out and do something cool, and the guys would do something uh, likewise. Uh, and so the idea was take the girls and go watch this Beauty and the Beast movie. I mean, it, grew up watching the cartoon. I mean, now they've kind of made it with real people and our technology. Now it should be cool. Uh, if you've been following that at all or have seen anything about it, uh, they're introducing, uh, the for Disney's trying to introduce their first um, gay character in, into the Disney realm of things. And the idea here from one article was that they're testing the waters out because they really want to make Elsa and Frozen uh, a lesbian character when they'd come up with the next Frozen movie. So as we're thinking about this, you know, do we really want to take our girls to this? Now certainly we can be discerning for them and kind of help them understand what's going on and that this is wrong and whatever, but honestly, is this a good uh, exercise for us to engage in as youth leaders to bring them to this particular movie? And so we've since decided against that and they're going to go to a pottery place and make and paint pottery in Bay City instead. So that's the girls. Guys are going to come over. We're going to do guy stuff, not pottery. But at any rate, that's just an example of how the devil is at work in our kids' cartoons. A cartoon that I actually liked. I was actually kind of looking forward to watching this new version of it. Not anymore. Satan's got to foul up everything that he can get his hands on to. Take things that seem uh, innocent to us and mess it up. The war against Satan is a spiritual one as well. We don't just fight against flesh and blood, but against spiritual, satanic powers, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, verse 12. This hierarchy of power represents Satan's demonic minions assigned to carry out his work uh, in this earth. Spiritual warfare is very much a satanic warfare. Thirdly, the war is a strategic one. This one I found very, very interesting as I was studying through this, uh, and it challenged me uh, quite a bit and opened my eyes a little bit more to just how messed up this devil, smart this devil is. Because there are times where we sing songs uh, about wanting to stomp on the devil and, you know, break his finger and do all these different things and how we want to crush the devil. And sometimes we almost kind of um, belittle him to the point where he's almost not all that powerful. The truth is, he's very powerful and he's very smart. Uh, as you look through uh, your passage there in verse 11, again it says... Um, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Some of you in your translation it may say the wiles of the devil. 
as we look at this term wiles in the Greek, it's, uh, it's the Greek word from which we get our word method. Okay, the schemes of the devil are the methods of the devil. Satan has his methods of attack, and we need our methods of defense. You look in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Satan's designs are his devices, depending on your translation again. In the Greek, uh, it originally means mind or our thoughts. So if you put these things together as we think about uh, Satan and what he is doing, it means uh, that his methods are well thought out. When he considers each and every one of us, he's going to have a different method for attacking you. And he's going to think that out very, very well. All right, Because he's going to figure out where you and I are the weakest, and that's where he's going to go after you. His schemes are very well thought out. It's not just a, well, let's try this today, see what happens. No, Sophie, he knows exactly where you're the weakest. And that's where he's going to target you. Right? That's where he's going to target. How many of you ever played Red Rover? Okay. You got everybody lined up on either side, and they're holding hands or arms or something, and they say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send whoever over. Okay. Now, we're going to be smart people. We're going to find the tiniest little person over there. Okay. And we're going to be like, you know, send one of the herons over. Okay. Because their kids are all the little ones. Okay. Send a heron over. Okay. Because they're not going to bust through our line. Okay. I'm I'm not going to ask, send Pastor Chris over. I mean, I'm going to bust right through that thing. But you said one of the smallest ones. On the flip side, where was I going with that? It was a really good illustration. Where was I? Oh, yeah, because we're thinking very specifically about what we're going to do, and we're going to find the weakest spot. So if I get called over, I'm going to figure out, and I'm going to see, okay, Johanna is holding arms with Luke. That's got to be the weakest point. I'm going right there, Right? I hate to pick on your kids, but they're, they're small little kids, and I'm thinking about playing games. Anyway, I, I, now that I'm never going to babysit for your kids, you're going to think I'm going to pummel them all the time or something. Not sure. Okay? But when you play that game, you try to figure out where the weakest link is, and that's where you're going to go. That's all I'm driving at with that one. Whew. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are Satan's target. Yeah, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, okay? There's a lot of great things that come into play with that where our eternal security is there. Uh, we're going to spend eternity with, with God forever. Uh, but, you know, one of the other things that maybe isn't always shared in Sunday school or in Awana or when you get saved is, oh, by the way, here's a big bullseye we're going to put on you because you're now his target, Satan's target. We don't tend to share that little tidbit sometimes. Okay, probably because we don't want to scare him away from making the decision, but it is true. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I am Satan's target. Whereas Jesus came that we might have abundant life, Satan comes to kill, to steal, and destroy that life. Sounds like a target to me. Back in Ephesians 6, we find the word against. If you look through those two verses, uh, 10 and 11, you're going to find the word against occurring six times. This is evidence that there's conflict going on here. You don't have forces arrayed against each other in times of peace. The best target for Satan is the saint, the believer in Christ, who doesn't believe that there's a war going on at all. 
We need to arm ourselves with the conviction that we are under attack by the devil. If Satan was not afraid, think about this, if Satan wasn't afraid to attack Jesus, why would he be afraid to attack you or me? Matthew 4, 1 through 11, we see some of those attempts by Satan to attack Jesus. Three specific goals. This was illuminating for me to think through. Satan has three goals in attacking Christians today. First one is to destroy the testimony of a Christian. His target is uh, not those who aren't believers, but those who are. And he wants to destroy your testimony. I talked just a little bit about DJ this morning. Here's a young man who uh, I've been talking with a little bit and encouraging him to continue on with his testimony uh, at wrestling. I mentioned he hasn't been to youth group in a while, and we've talked about that. And I was like, you know what, dude? You are God's ambassador, whether you're in church, in youth group, or you're out on the wrestling team. If you're out on the wrestling mat, you're going to have a much better opportunity uh, to be an ambassador for him than necessarily sitting in one of the chairs at youth group. You can be here and get encouraged and, and charged up, but it's to go back out there and do the work. He had an opportunity to really, or Satan had an opportunity really to, to spoil his testimony uh, on Friday when he lost. And as I mentioned, he, he didn't do that. On the contrary, he did the opposite. He tried harder, he fought harder, he didn't get down on, on himself where he was at. He was at a very vulnerable point in his life, and that's where Satan really likes to attack us, does he not, when you're the most vulnerable? Number two, to destroy the unity of Christian families and homes. And if I just think about it for a few minutes, I'd be like, he's doing a pretty good job at that one. Destroy the unity of Christian families and homes. Destroying marriages... Destroying marriages and homes in this generation is his strategy for weakening the next generation. God made it clear back in Genesis to Adam and Eve, husband and wife, to be fruitful and multiply, make babies, grow this earth, uh, populate this earth. That's the family structure he gave and created right from the beginning, and we have started... Not started. We've marred it up pretty good. Generation to generation. One of the things that uh, you've probably heard this phrase before, but, but what I do in moderation, my kids will do in excess. Have you ever heard that before? Okay, the, the idea being that if I just do things in moderation a little bit and it's okay, well, my kids are probably going to do that in much larger scale. So here we are. We start with just uh, the talk of... Um, homosexuality being somewhat okay in certain situations or whatever it was like back in the 70s or 80s or whatever and here we are now in 2017 and that's just commonplace in our television shows it's commonplace in movies uh, and even into our children's movies we're starting to inject that a little bit why because that's the next generation and one of the things i'm terrified for me ha or me having kids my wife having our children is that what kind of world do they have to grow up in 
I would never have thought of. Uh, hey, Dad, can I go over to, to you know, stay the night at Jason's house? Now I have to think, because is Jason the one that has two dads? Because I don't want you going to stay in the night at their house. Now, for some of you, you didn't really have to think about that when you had children and them wanting to go spend the night at Jason's house. Now we do. Because Satan is starting to follow those things up. And generation after generation, it gets a little bit more and more desensitized to where, really, what's the big deal with it? I really don't want to have that conversation with my kid, but I'm probably going to have to at some point because he's going to be raised, she's going to be raised where this is normal and acceptable. Not in my house. And hopefully not in yours. Number three, destroying the ministry of Christian churches. Dr. David Jeremiah went on to say uh, in the book I previously mentioned that in his nearly half a century of ministry, he never saw a time of divisiveness in the church as there is today. Christians are fighting each other as if we were the enemy. Your brother is not your enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Your brother in Christ is not your enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And we established earlier, who's the enemy? Satan. Satan is the enemy, not your Christian brother, your Christian sister. When Christians fight against one another, it's because Satan's tricked them into thinking that there's another enemy besides him. Satan loves using decoys. He loves to try and confuse. We talked about duck hunting a little bit and how you, you float decoys in the water so that other ducks that are flying around can see that there's ducks in the water and it must be a safe place to land and just swim for a bit or eat or whatever. So they come and they land, and then all of a sudden, they, <laughs> the lead flies. Satan likes to do it too. I'm going to put what look like good Christians around you, and as soon as you start letting those defenses down, I'm going to pounce. Satan's going to pounce. Christian author John Eldred said this, um, He's also a counselor. He makes this important statement about spiritual warfare. He says, To live in ignorance of spiritual warfare is the most naive and dangerous thing a person can do. It's like skipping through the worst parts of town late at night, waving a billfold up in the air. It's like walking through an ISIS training camp or an Al-Qaeda training camp wearing an I love the United States t-shirt or I love Jesus kind of t-shirt. It's like swimming with great white sharks dressed as a wounded sea lion smeared with blood. How many of you want to go swimming with sharks without the blood? Okay, you then douse yourself in, in blood. Okay, yeah, let's go swim with sharks. You don't escape spiritual warfare simply because you choose not to believe it exists or because you refuse to fight it. Let me say that again. You do not escape spiritual warfare simply because you choose not to believe it exists or because you refuse to fight it. It's still there. And if we, the church, who have the truth, don't stand up to fight it, then who's going to fight it? Nobody. Or if somebody wants to fight it, they're going to fight it with something that's not the truth. And it's just going to continue to get warped. 
So I'm going to keep jumping on homosexuality. So if anybody listens to the recording later and wants to, you know, seize my materials, go for it. I don't care. Maybe you'll get saved as a result. Uh, but anyway, if we don't fight homosexuality with the truth of God's word, then the next generation will be at a point where this is just what it is. And this archaic document called the Bible, that, that worked for centuries ago, that, that we've evolved beyond it now. Isn't that just the stupidest thing in the world to say? We've evolved beyond God, or we've evolved beyond uh, the revelation that he has given to us. If you still believe that you're not in a war, then either you're so spiritually emaciated, making so little impact for Christ that Satan doesn't have to worry about defeating you, or you may not be a Christian at all in the first place. Think about it. If you're not being attacked, if you're not enduring spiritual hardships, then I would challenge you to really take stock of your spiritual life and figure out if you're even doing enough to make yourself a viable target for him. You need to be messing with Satan so bad that he wants to knock you off. This just sounds weird, okay? Because you're not going to want to be in the military and you know go running around trying to get the enemy's attention, okay? Well, the enemy's not shooting at me, so maybe I'm not doing my job. Well, that's different. As a spirit-controlled believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to experience warfare-related struggles in your life. That should be a mark that we're doing something right. Spiritual warfare is fought with spiritual weapons, and to defy Satan, you have to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Satan is the second most powerful person in the universe, second only to who? God. So this is where the cocky amongst us really need to to focus in, and I would count myself in that group at times, because at times I get myself to a point where, oh, I can handle this. I don't need help. I need to focus in right now that Satan is the second most powerful, leaving God as the first most powerful. So where do I fit? At most third, so I'm still weaker than Satan. And I'm not even third. Don't ever think that you can stand up in your own strength and tell Satan what to do. Because it's only when we say, in the name of the Lord, be gone, kind of a thing, or depart from me, or get away. It's in Jesus' name that we do these things. It's through reading Scripture at Satan. Let's sing Satan a spiritual lullaby. As a little kid, there were times uh, you learned the Sunday school songs, the junior church songs, and things like that growing up. And, uh, you know, being afraid of the dark or whatever when you're a little kid... Uh, I just started singing some of those songs. Because you think, you hear these uh, sermons about Satan and all these kinds of things, like, well, then I'm starting to be scared that maybe Satan's around here wanting to do something to me. So I started singing the B-I-B-L-E or something like that. He can't handle that kind of stuff. That's, that's kind of what my mom would tell me or teach me to do when I was a little kid. The principle being that in Jesus' name and with Scripture, Satan wants no part. 
God's given us six pieces of spiritual armor that we can use to defend ourselves against the attacks of our enemy. Remembering that Ephesians was written by Paul uh, while he was a prisoner in Rome helps us to see why he used uh, the outline of a, of a Roman soldier uh, as he painted this, word, this picture for us uh, in talking about spiritual armor because he would see soldiers all the time. He would see them in that armor. It was a common visual for him. And so he, uh, as he talks about the spiritual army, he connects it to a different piece to help give us a visual. I'm glad I'm not going into all the armor. We don't have that much time. It's 7 o'clock, so I'm going to close there. I was going to go on to the purpose of this armor, but I won't right now. You get into later on into this passage, it tells us essentially that we, it's time for us to gear up. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. Take up the whole armor. This is where we need to armor up, take arms, and be prepared and be ready. So there is a purpose to this armor. And uh, in a nutshell... Uh, I was going to talk about uh, how we stand against the devil and withstand the devil's schemes in our life. That's the purpose for this armor. It's not just so that uh, as a kid you, you want to be a soldier or a police officer or something because when you look at them, they, got, they're cool. they look cool because they got all their armor and their stuff on. You know, A lot of times I like Batman because he had the bat belt, which had all those cool things to it, right? You wanted to gear up. Well, there's a purpose to this specific armor that God has given to us or made available to us. And we need to suit up in it to be effective, as effective as we possibly can be in fighting against the devil because we cannot do it on our own. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time that we've had to uh, sing your praises and worship you in song. Thank you for the special numbers that we have been able to enjoy. And and, uh, again, we pray that you've been honored by their time and efforts in preparing those songs for us. And God, as we consider uh, the spiritual armor, and specifically here in the first couple of verses, your uh, directive that we need to stand, and we need to stand in your strength and not ours, may I be challenged to stop relying on my own strength, May these folks here as well be challenged to not rely on themselves and their own strength uh, when they're facing these spiritual battles, but rely on yours. God, you're a never-ending power source, and we would be foolish to not tap into that power source. For those of us who are believers in you, it's freely given. For those of us that are not, it is freely available should they choose you as their Savior. God, go before us this evening, prepare our way. May we be safe getting home and gear up for the next week as the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. May it not be us. And may we save those that are around us as well and speak truth into their lives so that you rather can save them.
in your name we pray. Amen.